0: First time granddad, first time dad. This will be our lesson to you this morning. I'm going to take the first few minutes and address the idea of looking forward to being a granddad. Andrew will come up then in a few minutes and talk to us about first time dadhood. Him looking forward to that. So that is our plan this morning, we'll get right to it, first time granddad, to me this is uh, humbling and scary but um, also very exciting, to me when you think about granddad, you think about a spiritual rock, you think about spiritual security, you think about a spiritual leader, Uh, in my mind, I have a long way to go in that direction, but still, that's the way it is. For us to get to that type of maturity, we must focus on God's love, God's love. I'll mention uh, for our part of the lesson this morning, I'll mention three qualities that helps us to be mature when it comes to God's love and helps, helps us to grow. Look at Psalm 103 and verse 17. Psalm 103:17, The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear Him and His righteousness unto our children's children. And that's, that's grandparenthood right there. God's righteousness is to extend, Psalm 103:17, to our children's children. His love and righteousness to our children's children. To be a man, I've got to know God's love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, that I ought to be a man, stand strong in the faith, be firm, and then let all things be done in love. In love. Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14 speaks that after a reason, of time, we ought to become teachers. Reading on into Hebrews 6, we ought to be mature. We ought to be going on into maturity. And so therefore, by the time one gets to grandpa stage in life, he ought to be mature. He ought to be a spiritual rock. And as I said, I've got a long way to go. But one of the great ways of getting there is to focus on God's love. first quality of God's love is this. God's love is absolutely authentic. It's absolutely real. It's the most real thing that we'll ever know about, God's love. It's through and through uh, real. Uh, You see, God loved us before we ever knew anything about Him. First John 4:19 says, "We love him because He first loved us." In fact, God is love." First John four: seven and eight. God is love. That's his very, very nature. He just love. Therefore, when He loves, there's no strings attached, it's absolutely unconditional. Romans eight thirty five through thirty nine says there's absolutely nothing that can separate us from it, whether it be persecution or, or famine, or whether it be height or depth or any such thing, things visible or invisible, whatever it is that may come up in life. Paul says there's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God loves Without any need. Without any need. This distinguishes God. He loves without need. Acts 17, 24 and 25 says, God is not served with men's hands as though He needed anything. We need someone out there who loves us, but who does not need us at all, does not need love from anyone. The only one that can fill those shoes is God Almighty. We must learn, and as we grow to maturity, and if we're going to be a spiritual leader, we must learn to love like God. And since God loves in such a real way, there's also the such thing as false love. False love. And to help me and to help all of us incorporate the realness of God's love, think just a moment about what false love would be. False love is conditional. False love is conditional. That is, that's when a person loves as long as the other person is affirming him or as long as the other person is meeting his needs. Then he will love that other person. But if that stops, then his love draws back. So false love is conditional conditional false love also is is kind of closed up closed up false love is closed up in order to protect itself see I'm not going to put my heart out there I 'm not going to love unless I can make sure I'm going to be loved back you see false love is is cold and calculated cold and calculated I'm not going to that is uh, that person will only love if if he knows he's going to get a good return. He's, he's not going to invest himself in someone else unless he's sure that he's going to get a good return on his investment. Now, they, that's false love. False love calculates. False love uh, is closed up and tries to protect itself. And false love is conditional. That's all opposite to God's love. And we must, as we grow to maturity, we must learn more and more how to love absolutely like God, and Grandpa would need to do that as well. Grandpa would would need to be the example uh, of this. Grandpa would learn to show his love to his children and grandchildren, regardless of whether they're tall or short, or whether they're well educated or educated in a different uh, way, whether their interests are toward athletics or not toward athletics. Regardless. Grandpa learns to love in a very real, authentic, unconditional way. And he has that in him so much that his family learns to develop that habit also. And not just to each other, but they also see Grandpa showing that unconditional love to everyone who is in his life. He reaches out with his love, really reaching out with God's love. So... The first quality of God's love is it's very, very authentic, very, very uh, real. The second quality of God's love is God's love is long-suffering and very patient. Long-suffering, patient, endearing. Our sins put us in debt, Matthew six twelve. Jesus teaches us to pray like this, forgive our debts. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. We forgive others who sin against us. So forgive our debts. Sin puts us in debt. But thanks be to God that through Jesus we have the opportunity not to have to pay for the awful consequences of sin. God laid that on his son. Isaiah 53 verse 6. He has laid our iniquity upon him. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah 53, verse 6. Galatians 3, verse 10, Jesus became a curse for us. And so God doesn't make us, if we will follow him, he doesn't make us suffer and absorb and pay for the awful cost of sin. But because he loves us, he was willing to lay all that upon his son. He was willing to absorb the pain and the consequences of sin on himself for our eternal good. So it behooves me then and all of us as we grow to maturity, it behooves us to grow in love like God. When someone offends, when someone hurts us, when someone wrongs us, when someone betrays us, we learn to simply absorb that hurt and let that go completely like God so that we can seek the eternal good of the person that we're, we're seeking to serve. That's loving like God. And Grandpa, he must be the example of this. He must stand as a strong mountain in this type of love. He will know that his children and grandchildren will face difficult people sometimes And also difficult situations. And he will, by his example and teaching, help them to learn to also absorb, to um, endure the hurts of others so that they can serve the eternal good of that person who may be hurting them. You know, Jesus teaches us in Matthew 5, 43-46, to even love your enemies and do good to those who might persecute you. And that's what God is trying to get through to us, to take on not just recognize his love, but to actually live out his love in our lives and relationships with others. If grandpa is going to be grandpa, then he must, he must be at that point in his life. He must grow to that point of being able to do this and to show and help his family to develop uh, in this manner as well not just the hurts of others but sometimes life is hard isn't it sometimes life brings difficulty but a good grandpa will show his family that the lord is still in control and that if you endure and you stay with the lord that he will see he will see you through that he will even help you not only just to see you through he will help you to be the light for Jesus even in difficult uh, times. I think of uh, Sister Kay's uh, dad, who uh, not only the a dad, but a great a granddad. And uh, even become um, had great, great children. You know, uh, Sister Maynard, Louise Maynard, this week was talking to me. She says, nothing better than grandchildren. And then she paused and said, well, except for great-grandchildren. (laughs) Because she's got great-grandchildren now. Um, But I remember Brother Earl. And he would be talking about different circumstances. And then he would refer to Psalm 3725. 3725. And he would say, and that, that verse says, I have been young, and now I am old. And I have yet to see the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. You can trust the Lord. You can trust the Lord. And we must show this kind of love, an endearing, long-suffering, patient love toward the Lord, toward life, and toward others. That is growing to maturity. And then the third quality of love is that love rejoices in the truth. We read this statement in 1 Corinthians thirteen six among the qualities of love, but we also got to remember that God not only is love, He is truth. His very nature is that He cannot lie, Titus 1, verse 2. He can't lie. He is truth. He is love. At the same time, we must follow Him in this regard. A lot of folks will begin to notice the unconditional nature of God's love and feel that therefore you can just overlook uh, certain sins in life. But that's so not God. That's just not true at all. Part of love is that you stay with the truth. And so, as, as a leader in the family, as a leader in the family, uh, he cannot, a leader cannot even once compromise, even a you cannot compromise the truth in any way, any way, because that will uh, cause confusion uh, in the family who knows that you're professing faith in the Bible and in God. You cannot compromise the truth in any way, and you not, cannot condone sin in any fashion whatsoever. Again, that would cause great confusion and doubt uh, in your grandchildren. Love rejoices in the truth. That means you will not condone Sin, it means you will not uh, compromise the truth in any way, but it also means that you will be in the Word and share the Word. Share the Word. This is a great responsibility upon, upon grandparents. If you want to look in your Bibles uh, a couple of places with me, Deuteronomy 4, if you'll notice, Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, only take care. Only take care. Are you there? Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known. Notice this. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And then notice Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 2 as well. He says concerning the commandments of God, that you may fear the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 6 verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all the statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life. There is a responsibility placed upon the shoulders of grandparents. And the main responsibility is that your son's son, that your children's children will know the commandments of the Lord and will observe them all the days of their lives. So the quality of God here is that love rejoices in the truth and anyone heading toward maturity will be seeking to know more about that truth and seeking ways to share that truth. This is what grandparents do. At any opportunity, whether they're outside with their grandkids and they're observing an animal or they're observing, nat- observing nature, they'll quickly want to talk about God's creative power. If they are helping you wash the car, you're going to talk to them about sin and the cleansing that comes through obeying the Lord. At every opportunity, whether you're talking when you're talking about how that that there are some mean people in the world, well, then you talk about. Sin and you talk about the love of God and how it reaches into the hearts of people and can help people to change at every opportunity, then you're seeking to share God's Word. I was speaking with Brother and Sister Maynard this week, and Sister Maynard said, do you, some of you have taken the fishers some in class, and one of the first things you do in the first class is you go around class and you ask each person there who who is the key person in your life who helped you come to know Christ and to obey Him, and she said overwhelmingly when that question was asked across this country, overwhelmingly people would say my, either my grandmother or my grandfather. Overwhelming, overwhelmingly, if they mentioned a, a a family member, it was grandma or grandpa. That had led them to the truth. And that is is very important for us to swallow and and take to heart as well. She was saying that Brother Maynard is especially grateful at this time in his life that when they were all younger and the grandsons were at home and they were around them, that he taught them to pray. He taught them to pray. Because as many of you know, Brother Maynard now has Parkinson's disease and he cannot hardly talk. And so now at mealtime, and now when it's time to pray at night, he cannot utter the prayer. But the grandsons now have taken over that responsibility. And they're very thankful that when they were young, Brother Maynard had taken the time to teach them to pray. He relates this story. He said there was one grandson who, when he was smaller, he, was, he would lead a prayer in public, but we, he would always forget to say, In Jesus' name, Amen. He would just say, Amen. And so Brother Maynard thought about that. He said, um, at that time in Mankato, Minnesota, there was a uh, yellow Volkswagen, bright yellow Volkswagen. And on the, on the Volkswagen was printed the name Jesus. And everybody in town knew about it. And so, whenever this grandson would get down to the park and he was almost forgetting to say Jesus in Jesus' name, Brother Maynard would whisper, Yellow car, yellow car. And they never forgot it. The yellow car, see, now means something in their family. Nobody else knows about it. But yellow car means remember to say in Jesus' name. There's grandpa teaching grandson about. Praying uh, and praying in Jesus' uh, name. My grandfather on my dad's side, he was called Pop, Pop Barker. His real name is Jack Elton Barker, Jack Elton Barker. My dad's name is Jimmy Elton Barker. I'm David Elton Barker. Elton is a name passed down uh, through the generations in the Barker family. But Jack was called Pop by us and he was a great song leader in the church. And the song that I always had him to lead whenever I could when I was younger was Camping Toward Canaan's Happy Land. And over the years, not only have I enjoyed that song, but I have sought to learn the meaning of that song. How that this life is only temporary. We are camping we are setting up a tent. God has set the tent up for us. The real us, our soul, is within this body, our tent. This tent is set up for a while. We're camping. But we are camping toward a better place. So i got a long way to go before I think I can be called anything. In relation to grandpa. But the love of God can help us to get there. But Andrew come and talk to us about first time dad. Well
1: good morning. I certainly appreciate uh, the words from from David's father-in-law. I certainly uh, appreciate the fact that. uh, Well you have a a father-in-law like that. uh, Who has a disposition uh, and character that he, that he wants to be these things. And, and it's a comfort uh, for me as a first-time father. Uh, it's difficult to believe that it's about to happen. You know, it's, uh, uh, it's difficult to believe that exactly, by the way, one year ago today, exactly one year ago today, I stood on this very platform. And me and Kayla, we said our vows before you exactly one year ago today. And now here I am about four months from now uh, looking to be a first- Time, Father, And these are wonderful times indeed, humbling, as David said, uh, uh, frightening at times. Uh, 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 Great things are happening uh, in the Martinez household. And as wonderful as these things have been, uh, it's also been one of the most uh, sobering times of my life. Uh, Not long from now, I'm going to be responsible for a little person. And I don't know if that's exactly um, registered in my mind. But you know, when Sophia is born, uh, she's not going to wait for me to figure things out. Uh, As to how to be a father. As soon as she's out of the womb, I know I'm clocked in. I know that that's the time where it's, it's, I have to be ready to go to work at that time. A preparation for fatherhood uh, comes before becoming a father. Maybe that's the reason that God gives us nine months, not just nine months for that, for that child to grow, but nine months of preparation. At least that's the way I see it, but truth be told, uh, many uh, fathers or many husbands go into fatherhood unprepared. Uh, Some might say, well, Andrew, that's just the way it, it is to be. I mean, there's nothing in life that you can actually learn that will prepare you for fatherhood. Uh, you just have to jump right in and, and do it. There's nothing that we can actually say. Yeah, there's, there's nothing like this that you will ever experience in life that can actually prepare you uh, for this. Um, and that may be true, friends, but we wouldn't jump into uh, marriage unprepared. And we wouldn't jump into Christianity unprepared. And fatherhood is a commitment to a soul. Uh, therefore, we shouldn't jump into fatherhood unprepared. Uh, uh, that being said, I have learned that one of the best ways to prepare... Uh, Entering uncharted territory is to to examine the lives of those who have already been there. And the Bible is full of examples of those who have entered uncharted territory. And so what I want to do for my short talk uh, this morning is just to look at at an example of a good godly father. To focus on one example. Now it's difficult to single out just one. The, The Bible is full of good examples of good fathers. Uh, but for this morning, I want to talk about one uh, that's not necessarily brought out when the subject is fatherhood, a good fatherhood. I want to talk about Enoch. Uh, Genesis chapter 5, if you have your Bibles on you, uh, you first read about Enoch in Genesis chapter 5. Here you'll find this this uh, genealogy of sorts, uh, you're connected uh, from Adam to Noah. Not much is said in the Bible about Enoch. And if, but if I were to ask you, uh, what is it about Enoch that stands out to you? Uh, what do you know about Enoch? Most likely, uh, you will say, well, Enoch didn't die. And that is true. The Bible will say in Genesis five twenty-four, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Now, it fascinates us that somebody didn't die, especially in a chapter where constantly you read the phrase, and he died. And it fascinates us that somebody didn't experience death, and we, 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 we like to imagine what that must have been like. What does it mean that Enoch simply was taken? What does it mean that he did not experience death? But the fact that Enoch didn't die isn't necessarily what God wants you to know about Enoch. What God wants you to know about Enoch is said twice In the passage, verse 22 noted, Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah and he had other sons and daughters. It's said again in verse 24, Enoch walked with God. Now what does it mean that Enoch walked with God? Well, there are several walks that you can do relative to God in scripture. You can walk after God. You, you, to walk after someone is to acknowledge their leadership. It's to recognize and submit to the authority of the one to whom you are following. Christians are exhorted to follow the steps of Christ. Uh, uh, trying to walk in the steps of the Savior, you can walk after God. You can also walk before God. And when we are before God, the idea is that God is expecting our walking. That we we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of, of Christ. That is, God is going to examine our walking and he's going to make a judgment uh, based on what he sees on our walking. You can walk after God. You can walk before God. But there is walking with God. And it is said that Enoch walked with God. Walking with God suggests uh, uh, two things. Uh, first of all, it suggests intimacy with God. You can be intimate with God. And and walking with someone is the most intimate walk that you can have with someone. You might see a a couple walking down the sidewalk. Now, how do you know that that couple is in love? They're walking side by side, hand in hand. That's different from the old cranky couple, you know, where that, that, that husband's about five steps in front of his wife wondering what's taking so long. Walking with God is the most intimate walk. So it suggests intimacy. But here's the second thing that walking with God entails it suggests agreement with God. Amos 3:3 Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Now, there are at least three things that have to be agreed upon for two people uh, to be walking together: there is the destination. Where are we going? Uh, there is the path. Which direction are we going to take? We can be agreed on the destination, but we might be in disagreement on the path. But then there's the third thing, the manner of walking. What pace are we going to use? You know, a couple uh, mornings ago, me and uh, David, we went out for a walk. We don't have the same pace. He has to adjust his stride, and of course I have to adjust my stride. But, you know, without the adjusting of our strife, we wouldn't be walking together. And so we have to be agreed on the destination. We have to be agreed on the path. And we have to be agreed upon the manner of walking. When a man walks with God, he has to be in agreement with God on those three things as well. What's the destination? Heaven. What's the way to get there? That would be God's way, not man's way. What's the manner of walking? That would be hearing the the, the word of God and doing it. See, not many people, many people might have the destination. We want to go to heaven. Many people might even have the way that we we are a Bible-believing family. But Jesus would also say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter. There is a manner of walking. And the manner of walking is hearing the word of God and applying it. Friends, that's Enoch's walk. Heaven is his destination. God's will is his guide. And the doing of God's will is how he lives on a daily basis. Because Enoch walked with God, there is clarity and there is certainty in the Enoch household as to who he is and where he is going. But not only did Enoch walk with God. Enoch walked with God in a wicked environment. That environment is the pre-flood world. And it's an environment that's described in the next chapter as having great wickedness. You can note it in Genesis 6-5 when, when God looks at the wickedness of uh, or the condition of the world. And what he sees is that the, 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 every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Now what does that tell you about the condition of society in Enoch's day? Well, please note that God is not changing society. And please note that the the fact that Enoch walked with God in that environment means that, that man can live righteously in a wicked world. The world does not have to get right for you to be right. But Enoch just didn't live righteously in his own private world. Enoch just didn't isolate himself in his own home and, and close the curtain because the, the world was so wicked. No, he publicly preached against that world. You can read a part of his sermon in Jude 14. The Bible says that Enoch preached concerning the judgment on the wicked of his day. Before God sent the flood, God was using Enoch to preach to that wicked world. You can uh, Note Jude 14. It was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. It's bad enough just living in in the wicked environment, but, but what about when God says, Now go into that environment and preach to it? That's Enoch. That's what Enoch does. But not only did Enoch walk with God in a wicked environment, Enoch walked with God in a wicked environment before his children. Enoch had a family. You know, Enoch didn't despair at the wicked world. He didn't despair at the prospect of raising children in that kind of environment. You know, many Christians, they would question whether or not they should bring children into a wicked world. What kind of world are they going to live in? But not only was Enoch confident that he could remain faithful in that sinful world, But he was also confident of his decision to raise a godly family and that family would live faithfully in it. Friends, not only is it a possibility to raise godly offspring, it is also a God-given responsibility. You know, we often talk about wanting to effect change in the world, and we have our back and forth and we have our disagreements and our discussions and our debates. Maybe if people were more focused on, on their house than the White House, they would be able to effect change. What did God do when He wanted to effect change into the world? He sent his son into it. Psalm 127, how are children and parents described as arrows in the hands of a warrior? Arrows that are nurtured and trained where? At home and shot where? In the world. Malachi 2, 14 and 15 will state one of the purposes of marriage. One of the purposes and primary reasons of marriage was because God seeks godly offspring why because children are one of the most powerful tools of change so rather than having an attitude and disposition of defeatism because of the world is becoming increasingly wicked and dark friends there should be all the more reason why we desire to have children in the first place the bible says enoch was 65 years old when methuselah was born, his firstborn. That means that Enoch walked with God in a wicked environment in front of his children for a full three centuries. There was never a day where Enoch's household witnessed their father not walking with God. They would be able to tell by the attitude of his mind, the words of his mouth, the actions of his life. Their father must have sounded like a broken record. No, you're not going to hang out with that crowd. No, you're not going to wear that. You're not going to do that thing. Their father understood that he had to keep warning them in spite of their not wanting to hear him. He would have taught them about God. He would have taught them about living right. He would have taught them about uh, there's going to be a day of judgment and yes, you can live right. You can live life however you want but, but make sure you understand that there is going to be a day where you will have to give an accounting. How do I know Enoch did all this? Because Enoch walked with God. And that's what God did and does for His children. He warns and warns and pleads. How important was Enoch's walk for his children? Well, Methuselah went on to live 669 years after his father was taken up to heaven, which makes Methuselah the oldest living man or the oldest man in the Bible. Now, I would like to think that Methuselah imitated his father's walk before his child Lamech. And Lamech then would then imitate his father's walk before his child Noah. You see, how impactful was Enoch's walk? Note it with me in Genesis 6-9. Here is Enoch's legacy. You know, David talked about being a grandfather and a great-grandfather. Here's the legacy. Notice what it said about Enoch's grandchild Noah. Genesis 6-9. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. There are only two people in the Old Testament scriptures where the Bible just comes right out and says, this person walked with God. That would be Enoch and Noah. What an amazing legacy. Enoch left history. Looking forward to fatherhood. Friends, that's what I want for Sophia. I want to give her that kind of clarity. I want to walk like Enoch walked. When Sophia is born, I want her to recognize and realize that beyond the shadow of a doubt, we are a family that's going to heaven. We are a family that's heaven bound. That's our destination. I want her to realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that the way that we are going to get there is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But we're not going to be a faith only family. We're not going to simply confess that we're a Bible believing family, that we believe in Jesus. No, we're going to study what Jesus said and we are going to do it. Friends, that's how we are going to walk as a family toward heaven. I want my child to have that kind of clarity in her life. And I want Sophia to realize that my walk with God as a father isn't dependent on how the rest of the world walks. It doesn't matter how bad the world gets, it does not affect my walk and does not affect our walk as a family. what i want sophia to see is that her father didn't shy away isolate himself simply because the world got wicked what i want her father to what i want sophia to see is that her father went out and preached to it that's what i want her to see I want Sophia to realize that the, the, the reason that her father sounds like a broken record, the reason why I say that she can't wear those things, why she can't look like the world, why she can't hang out with the world, it's because we're walking with God. We're not walking with the world. We are a godly family. But friends, the reason that I want to be that kind of man in Sophia's life is because that's the kind of man I want Sophia to marry. It's not about me. It's about the generations down the line. It's about the Noahs that are down the line. And I know David understands that as well. And I appreciate... The things that he said, and I share in much the same disposition. I don't know if there's going to be a Noah down our family tree. Friends, it begins in our household. Walking with the Lord. What a wonderful example of a good, godly father we see in Enoch. And if you are a father, or you are about to be one, give your child that clarity. That this is what this family is all about. This is where we're going. This is how we're getting there. This is how we're walking on a daily basis. Give your child that clarity. And, and give your child that certainty that, that, that their walk as a godly family doesn't depend on how, how the world behaves. We're walking with God. We walk with the King. Thank the Lord for good, godly fathers. But this morning... Are you walking with the Father in heaven? As we send to you the invitation from heaven. You know, God desires nothing more than have, to have his children walk with him. Are you walking with the Lord? God loves you. He, he cares for you. He's concerned about you. And he wants nothing more than for you to be with him by his side, walking with him. If you're not his child, you need to become his child. Uh, Jesus is a son of God. That's what you need to believe. But more than just simply belief, you need to actually have that belief move you to give your allegiance to the God of heaven and turn from following sin and turn toward following Jesus. That's called repentance. Confess the name of Christ. That is, is stand where Jesus stood. Stand on everything that he taught and and do what he did. Stand with with everything that Jesus stood for in a public fashion. Confess and and, and be immersed in. Baptized in water for the remission of your sins. God will respond by washing you. God will respond by taking you out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom. From not being a child to now being his child. From not walking with him to now being with him. Come to him this morning if you have and if you are his child. I pray that the world has not caused you to wander off. I pray that the world has not caused you to to replace God as the primary in your life, in your heart. I pray that you have not given your heart and your allegiance to something or somebody else, whatever that thing is. Friends, I guarantee you this. Whatever you replace God with, I guarantee you it did not sacrifice for you. I guarantee you it did not give up its blood for you. I guarantee you it doesn't love you like you think it does. I guarantee you, friends, that thing cannot come for you, can't help you, can't fill you. But God can. God can do all those things, come back to him if you left him, and God will prove to you just how merciful of a father he is. If you need any help, if we can help you in any way, move closer to the God of heaven. Please make it known. Let's stand and let's sing.